All right. What was the top music moment from the past year as 2019 draws to a close? And what will this last decade be most remembered for when it comes to music and music history? Let's welcome in our friend, music expert, Eric Helper. He joins us here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Eric, good afternoon, my friend. Good afternoon. <laughs> Eric, uh, as we look back on uh, 2019, uh, what is, uh, well, let's start just with maybe the number one thing that kind of stands out for you when it comes to music this year. I think of all the stories that uh, people are going to look back on this, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks about this decade, there's one day in particular that we're going to look back on and said that was the moment that everything changed. And that date happens to be July the 14th, 2011, because that's the day that Spotify first launched in America. Okay, so you're with me. I was thinking when I was looking back in the last 10 years, maybe the biggest, most impactful thing when it comes to music is how we consume it. Absolutely, because how you consume music and how you consume anything is affecting the product and the end result and how you now perceive that product. Because Spotify came in as a free service with ads, um, giving you access to 30 million tunes at your fingertips, it not only dictated the fact that you did not have to wait anymore to listen to something, you can buy it for, or you can have it on your on your device for free, but it changed the way how music was written and produced because now it wasn't written for CDs or vinyl. It was written for small, tiny MP3 files, so it didn't have to sound as good as it did, but it's how we also perceive music to be free, so that changed the way that we saw entertainment in general. Netflix came on board and hit that tipping point. So the subscription service started to become a reality the minute that Spotify came to America. And I think there's a couple of spinoff effects from that, Eric. First and foremost, you mentioned the sonic quality of uh, songs and music now has uh, declined. Also, uh, the album really has kind of declined. Was Spotify the beginning of the end? Was it the death knell for the album, do you think? Absolutely no question. And in fact, you know, even if you want to relate it to your side of the business, the fact that your parent company now has other radio stations that you can listen to across the country is part of Spotify's doing. It's it's giving people as much choice to go on one place as possible and consume whatever you want to. But certainly the the death of the album and then the recent resurgence of it on uh, in vinyl. Um, was because of Spotify, because now we didn't just didn't have to, you know, buy or listen to the whole album and feel bad. Um, now we can kind of pick and choose. And the record labels saw that and realized that, well, maybe we don't have to get our artists in the studio for 15 songs anymore. Maybe they only need three and the fans will be happy with that for a month, and then we'll give them three more and three more and three more. And when some of the biggest artists in the world, like Ariana Grande and Taylor Swift, are releasing singles after single after single, instead of a full-on album till down the road, that's when you know that something's changed. Has that been a good or bad thing, do you think, uh, for music? Does it mean we're getting better songs and just more quality songs uh, being released rather than like two or three hit singles and then seven others thrown in? 
Yeah, I'm going to show my age, and I'm going to say that you're ending up with better, like, three-and-a-half-minute pop songs, but you're lacking in substance when it comes to how much we know of an artist. When you think about those amazing classic artists of the last 50 years, the Beatles, the Who, the Stones, Pink Floyd, all those artists were putting together long-form albums that took you on a journey that maybe the seventh song on that record wasn't the hit but it might be your personal favorite you're not going to have that anymore with these new artists the record labels are deeming it so much that the four songs or five songs or seven songs that are on the album every single one of them eventually are going to be on the radio or have a video so they don't take you on a momentous journey anymore it's just a collection of singles wrapped up neatly with a bow yeah, what about pride of ownership? That's also, streaming has also affected that, hasn't it? Instead of having to go, of course, to the record store and having something physical in your hand and handing over physical uh, dollars. I mean, I was just doing this uh, last night. I was starting to uh, search and uh, download my New Year's Eve playlist. Uh, it's, it's just amazing where we're at in 2019. I'm, I'm literally in front of a car in front of Toronto's busiest record store right now, and I just came from out of there. There's about three dozen people that are all shopping inside, um, and that makes you feel really good instead of knowing that there are still, you know, 100,000 people that are streaming in this city um, at any given time. So, yeah, it is. it, it changes the way how, how we perceive music. And, 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 I mean, look, my daughter is 16 years old. She has absolutely no concept of saving money taking a bus, going downtown, crossing your fingers and hoping that they have the record that you want, buying it, opening it up after you get home from, from an hour on the subway, and that is the only album that you have until you can afford to go buy another one. Right. She's got no concept of that, and it's not because I'll get her whatever she wants. It's like she's got every song from 1945 onwards at the hit of a button with just as ease as the biggest pop song that she's heard today. So there's something emotional that gets lost in that, and I'm not just talking about because I'm old. There's been studies that have shown that the less input and the less um, time that you have spent acquiring something, the less emotional attachment you have to that. And we're certainly seeing that now. For sure. Uh, here with Eric Alper, our music expert, looking back on uh, the 2010s and what it will be most remembered for when it comes to music. Is there any other sort of headline or an artist or something from the last 10 years that really stands out for you that you think uh, we'll be talking about uh, uh, in years to come? Yeah, you know, there, there's one other date in mind um, that we, we kind of pretty much went unnoticed. But in 2009, in August, Jay-Z and Beyonce went to go see an indie rock band by the name of Grizzly Bear. Grizzly Bear is kind of known in that hipster world of campus radio or college radio. But soon after that, Jay-Z started appearing at a lot of rock festivals, including Coachella. Right after that, in the beginning of the new decade, you suddenly started to see hip-hop and rap artists started working with indie rock artists for the first time. You had Lady Gaga working with Father John Misty. You had... Um, uh, Justin Bieber hooking up with rock artists. You had Frank Ocean making music with Vampire Weekend. For years and decades, rock and rap were kind of against one another. They were opposite end of the spectrum. If you liked rap, you didn't listen to indie rock. That changed everything when Jay-Z and Beyonce went to that show because they moved the needle so much in what they did afterwards was that the collaborations that you saw 
affected pop music as we know it now, where Mariah Carey is working with Grimes and Bieber is working with Mariah Carey, and you have all of these mixtures of styles of music that there's not rap anymore or hip-hop or pop or rock. What you have is just good music and bad music. And as a music lover, that's probably the greatest thing that happened in this decade was there were no more borders around styles of music. Yeah, I love that as well. And I love the collabs that we see. Like you mentioned uh, Bieber, he, of course, has got a big hit right now with, of all people, Dan and Shay from the uh, country uh, realm with uh, 10,000 Hours, which is one of the biggest tracks of the year. So it's it's awesome to hear and to see. Yeah, you know, and even when you take a look at Old Town Road grabbing a sample, the song was written based on a Nine Inch Nails drum loop that Lil Nas X got for 50 bucks. Here's a guy coming from nowhere near the country world, puts out a tweet that he thought it would be really cool to have Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> on the song. Guess who responds? It's Billy Ray Cyrus. And they end up with the single biggest selling song of the decade, uh, probably of the last 30 or 40 years, when you really think about being number one for 19 straight weeks on Billboard. Yeah. Um, I, I know it's a little bit of a cop-out, because I'd love to be able to say, well... You know, when Lady Gaga wore the meat dress, that was pretty heavy. Or when, you know, um, Kanye West interrupted Taylor Swift's speech 10 years ago, that was a pretty big moment. But I really do think that when the history books are written, it's not going to be necessarily a moment. I think it's going to be just a mesh of things that merge together into a whole generation's worth of brand new music of, of that's going to be so vastly different than whatever you want to find it at the record store. All right. Eric Helper, appreciate this. Have a great holiday, and we will speak in the new year, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.